0: Section seven of Three Essays on Religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ted Garvin. Three Essays on Religion by John Stuart Mill. The Utility of Religion. Part three. We may now have done with this branch of the subject, which is, after all, the vulgarest part of it. The value of religion as a supplement to human laws, a more cunning sort of police, an auxiliary to the thief-catcher and the hangman, is not that part of its claims which the more high-minded of its votaries are fondest of insisting on, and they would probably be as ready as any one to admit that if the nobler offices of religion and the soul could be dispensed with, a substitute might be found for so coarse and selfish a social instrument as the fear of hell. In their view of the matter the best of mankind absolutely require religion for the perfection of their own character even though the coercion of the worst might possibly be accomplished without its aid even in the social point of view however under its most elevated aspect these nobler spirits generally assert the necessity of religion as a teacher if not as an enforcer of social morality they say that religion alone can teach us what morality is that all the high morality ever recognized by mankind was learnt from a religion, that the greatest uninspired philosophers in their sublimest flights stopped far short of the Christian morality and whatever inferior morality they may have attained to by the assistance, as many think, of dim traditions derived from the Hebrew books or from a primeval revelation, they never could induce the common mass of their fellow citizens to accept it from them, that only when a morality is understood to come from the gods do men in general adopt it, rally round it, and lend their human sanctions for its enforcement. That granting the sufficiency of human motives to make the rule obeyed, were it not for the religious idea we should not have had the rule itself. There is truth in much of this, considered as a matter of history. Ancient peoples have generally, if not always, received their morals, their laws, their intellectual beliefs, and even their practical arts of life all in short, which tended either to guide or to discipline them as revelations from the superior powers, and in any other way could not easily have been induced to accept them. This was partly the effect of their hopes and fears from those powers, which were of much greater and more universal potency in early times, when the agency of the gods was seen in the daily events of life, Experience not having yet disclosed the fixed laws according to which physical phenomena succeed one another. Independently, too, of personal hopes and fears, the involuntary deference felt by these rude minds for power superior to their own and the tendency to suppose that beings of superhuman power must also be of superhuman knowledge and wisdom made them disinterestedly desire to conform their conduct to the presumed preferences of these powerful beings and to adopt no new practice without their authorization either spontaneously given or solicited and obtained but because when men were still savages they would not have received either moral or scientific truths unless they had supposed them to be supernaturally imparted does it follow that they would now give up moral truths any more than scientific because they believe them to have no higher origin than wise and noble human hearts are not moral truths strong enough in their own evidence at all events to retain the belief of mankind when once they have acquired it i grant that some of the precepts of christ as exhibited in the gospels rising far above the paulism which is the foundation of ordinary christianity carry some kinds of moral goodness to a greater height than had ever been attained before though much even of what is supposed to be peculiar to them is equalled in the meditations of marcus antoninus which we have no ground for believing to have been in any way indebted to christianity but this benefit whatever it amounts to has been gained mankind have entered into the possession of it it has become the property of humanity and cannot now be lost by anything short of a return to primeval barbarism. The new commandment to love one another, not, however, a new commandment, in justice to the great Hebrew lawgiver, it should always be remembered that the precept, to love thy neighbor as thyself, already existed in the Pentateuch, and very surprising it is to find it there. The recognition that the greatest are those who serve, not who are served by others, the reverence for the weak and humble, which is the foundation of chivalry, they and not the strong being pointed out as having the first place in god's regard and the first claim on their fellow-men the lesson of the parable of the good samaritan that of he that is without sin let him throw the first stone the precept of doing as we would be done by and such other noble moralities as are to be found mixed with some poetical exaggerations and some maxims of which it is difficult to ascertain the precise object in the authentic sayings of jesus of nazareth These are surely in sufficient harmony with the intellect and feelings of every good man or woman, to be in no danger of being let go, after having been once acknowledged as the creed of the best and foremost portion of our species. There will be, as there have been, shortcomings enough for a long time to come in acting on them, but that they should be forgotten, or cease to be operative on the human conscience, while human beings remain cultivated or civilized, may be pronounced, once for all, impossible on the other hand there is a very real evil consequent on ascribing a supernatural origin to the received maxims of morality that origin consecrates the whole of them and protects them from being discussed or criticized so that if among the moral doctrines received as a part of religion there be any which are imperfect which were either erroneous from the first or not properly limited and guarded in the expression or which unexceptionable once are no longer suited to the changes that have taken place in human relations and it is my firm belief that in so-called christian morality instances of all these kinds are to be found these doctrines are considered equally binding on the conscience with the noblest most permanent and most universal precepts of christ wherever morality is supposed to be of supernatural origin morality is stereotyped as law is for the same reason among believers in the quran belief then in the supernatural great as are the services which it rendered in the early stages of human development cannot be considered to be any longer required either for enabling us to know what is right and wrong in social morality or for supplying us with motives to do right and to abstain from wrong such belief therefore is not necessary for social purposes at least in the coarse way in which these could be considered apart from the character of the individual human being that more elevated branch of the subject now remains to be considered if supernatural beliefs are indeed necessary to the perfection of the individual character They are necessary also to the highest excellence in social conduct, necessary in a far higher sense than that vulgar one, which constitutes it the great support of morality in common eyes. Let us then consider what it is in human nature which causes it to require religion, what wants of the human mind religion supplies, and what qualities it develops. When we have understood this, we shall be better able to judge how far these wants can be otherwise supplied, and those qualities, or qualities equivalent to them, unfolded and brought to perfection by other means the old saying primus in orbe deus ficit timor," i hold to be untrue or to contain at most only a small amount of truth belief in gods had i conceive even in the rudest minds a more honorable origin its universality has been very rationally explained from the spontaneous tendency of the mind to attribute life and volition similar to what it feels in itself to all natural objects and phenomena which appear to be self moving. This was a plausible fancy, and no better theory could be formed at first. It was naturally persisted in so long as the motions and operations of these objects seemed to be arbitrary, and incapable of being accounted for but by the free choice of the power itself. At first, no doubt, the objects themselves were supposed to be alive, and this belief st- still subsists among African fetish worshippers but as it must soon have appeared absurd that things which could do so much more than man could not or would not do what man does as for example to speak the transition was made to supposing that the object present to the senses was inanimate but was the creature and instrument of an invisible being with a form and organs similar to the human these beings having first been believed in fear of them necessarily followed since they were thought able to inflict at pleasure on human beings great evils which the sufferers neither knew how to avert nor to foresee, but were left dependent, for their chances of doing either upon solicitations addressed to the deities themselves. It is true, therefore, that fear had much to do with religion, but belief in the gods evidently preceded, and did not arise from, fear, though the fear, when established, was a strong support to the belief, nothing being conceived to be so great an offense to the divinities as any doubt of their existence it is unnecessary to prosecute further the natural history of religion as we have not here to account for its origin in rude minds but for its persistency in the cultivated a sufficient explanation of this will i conceive be found in the small limits of man's certain knowledge and the boundlessness of his desire to know human existence is girt round with mystery the narrow region of our experience is a small island in the midst of a boundless sea which at once awes our feelings and stimulates our imagination by its vastness and its obscurity to add to the mystery the domain of our earthly existence is not only an island in infinite space but also an infinite time the past and the future are alike shrouded from us we neither know the origin of anything which is nor its final destination if we feel deeply interested in knowing that there are myriads of worlds at an immeasurable and to our faculties inconceivable distance from us in space, if we are eager to discover what little we can about these worlds, and when we cannot know what they are, can never satiate ourselves with speculating on what they may be, is it not a matter of far deeper interest to us to learn, or even to conjecture, from whence came this nearer world which we inhabit, what cause or agency made it what it is, and on what powers depend its future fate? Who would not desire this more ardently than any other conceivable knowledge? so long as there appeared the slightest hope of attaining it what would not one give for any credible tidings from that mysterious region any glimpse into it which might enable us to see the smallest light through its darkness especially any theory of it which we could believe and which represented it as tenanted by a benignant and not a hostile influence but since we are able to penetrate into that region with the imagination only assisted by specious but inconclusive analogies derived from human agency and design, imagination is free to fill up the vacancy with the imagery most congenial to itself, sublime and elevating if it be a lofty imagination, low and mean if it be a groveling one. Religion and poetry address themselves, at least in one of their aspects, to the same part of the human constitution. They both supply the same want, that of ideal conceptions grander and more beautiful than we see, realized in the prose of human life religion as distinguished from poetry is the product of the craving to know whether these imaginative conceptions have realities answering to them in some other world than ours the mind in this state eagerly catches at any rumors respecting other worlds especially when delivered by persons whom it deems wiser than itself to the poetry of the supernatural comes to be thus added a positive belief and expectation which unpoetical minds can share with the poetical belief in a god or gods and in a life after death, becomes the canvas which every mind, according to its capacity, covers with such ideal pictures as it can either invent or copy. In that other life, each hopes to find the good which he has failed to find on earth, or the better which is suggested to him by the good which on earth he has partially seen and known. More especially, this belief supplies the finer minds with materials for conceptions of beings more awful than they can have known on earth, and more excellent than they probably have known. So long as human life is insufficient to satisfy human aspirations, so long there will be a craving for higher things, which finds its most obvious satisfaction in religion. So long as earthly life is full of sufferings, so long there will be need of consolations, which the hope of heaven affords to the selfish, the love of God to the tender and grateful. The value, therefore, of religion to the individual, both in the past and present, as a source of personal satisfaction and of elevated feelings, is not to be disputed but it has still to be considered whether in order to obtain this good it is necessary to travel beyond the boundaries of the world which we inhabit or whether the idealization of our earthly life the cultivation of a high conception of what it may be made is not capable of supplying a poetry and in the best sense of the word a religion equally fitted to exalt the feelings and with the same aid from education still better calculated to ennoble the conduct than any belief respecting the unseen powers At the bare suggestion of such a possibility, many will exclaim that the short duration, the smallness and insignificance of life, if there is no prolongation of it beyond what we see, makes it impossible that great and elevated feelings can connect themselves with anything laid out on so small a scale, that such a conception of life can match with nothing higher than Epicurean feelings, and the Epicurean doctrine, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die unquestionably within certain limits the maxim of the epicureans is sound and applicable to much higher things than eating and drinking to make the most of the present for all good purposes those of enjoyment among the rest to keep under control those mental dispositions which lead to undue sacrifice of present good for a future which may never arrive to cultivate the habit of deriving pleasure from things within our reach rather than from the too eager pursuit of objects at a distance to think all time wasted which is not spent either in personal pleasure or in doing things useful to oneself or others these are wise maxims and the carpe diem doctrine carried thus far is a rational and legitimate corollary from the shortness of life but that because life is short we should care for nothing beyond it is not a legitimate conclusion and the supposition that human beings in general are not capable of feeling deep and even the deepest interest in things which they will never live to see is a view of human nature as false as it is abject let it be remembered that if individual life is short the life of the human species is not short its indefinite duration is practically equivalent to endlessness and being combined with indefinite capability of improvement it offers to the imagination and sympathies a large enough object to satisfy any reasonable demand for grandeur of aspiration if such an object appears small to a mind accustomed to dream of infinite and eternal beatitudes it will expand into far other dimensions when those baseless fancies shall have receded into the past nor let it be thought that only the more eminent of our species in mind and heart are capable of identifying their feelings with the entire life of the human race this noble capability implies indeed a certain cultivation but not superior to that which might be and certainly will be if human improvement continues the lot of all objects far smaller than this and equally confined within the limits of the earth though not within those of a single human life have been found sufficient to inspire large masses and long successions of mankind with an enthusiasm capable of ruling the conduct and coloring the whole life rome was to the entire roman people for many generations as much a religion as jehovah was to the jews nay much more for they never fell off from their worship as the jews did from theirs And the Romans, otherwise a selfish people, with no very remarkable faculties of any kind except the purely practical, derived nevertheless from this one idea a certain greatness of soul, which manifests itself in all their history where that idea is concerned, and nowhere else, and has earned for them the largest share of admiration, in other respects not at all deserved, which was felt for them by most noble-minded persons from that time to this. When we consider how ardent a sentiment, in favorable circumstances of education, The love of country has become we cannot judge it impossible that the love of that larger country the world may be nursed into similar strength both as a source of elevated emotion and as a principle of deity he who needs any other lesson on this subject than the whole course of ancient history affords let him read cicero de officius it cannot be said that the standard of morals laid down in that celebrated treatise is a high standard to our notions it is on many points unduly lax and admits capitulations of conscience but on the subject of duty to our country there is no compromise that any man with the smallest pretensions to virtue could hesitate to sacrifice life reputation family everything valuable to him to the love of country is a supposition which this eminent interpreter of greek and roman morality cannot entertain for a moment if then persons could be trained as we see they were not only to believe in theory that the good of their country was an object to which all others ought to yield but to feel this practically as the grand duty of life so also may they be made to feel the same absolute obligation towards the universal good a morality grounded on large and wise views of the good of the whole neither sacrificing the individual to the aggregate nor the aggregate to the individual but giving to duty on the one hand and to freedom and spontaneity on the other their proper providence would derive its power and the superior natures from sympathy and benevolence and the passion for ideal excellence in the inferior, from the same feelings cultivated up to the measure of their capacity, with the superadded force of shame. This exalted morality would not depend for its ascendancy on any hope of reward, but the reward which might be looked for, and the thought of which would be a consolation in suffering, and a support in moments of weakness, would not be a problematical future existence, but the approbation in this of those whom we respect, and ideally of all those dead or living, whom we admire or venerate for the thought that our dead parents or friends would have approved our conduct is a scarcely less powerful motive than the knowledge that our living ones do approve it and the idea that socrates or howard or washington or antoninus or christ would have sympathized with us or that we are attempting to do our part in the spirit in which they did theirs has operated on the very best minds as a strong incentive to act up to their highest feelings and convictions to call these sentiments by the name morality exclusively of any other title is claiming too little for them they are a real religion of which as of other religions outward good works the utmost meaning usually suggested by the word morality are only a part and are indeed rather the fruits of the religion than the religion itself the essence of religion is the strong and earnest direction of the emotions and desires towards an ideal object Recognized as of the highest excellence, and is rightfully paramount over all selfish objects of desire. This condition is fulfilled by the religion of humanity in as eminent a degree, and in as high a sense, as by the supernatural religions, even in their best manifestations, and far more so than in any of their others. End of the Utility of Religion, Part Three.